1: Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, land values and the economy. Do we factor in the influence of land value enough in economics, given that it's not just the amount of land that counts, it's also the position of the land? And just how wrong would things go if it was left entirely to market forces? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Now, land is considered as part of capital uh, when we look at the factors of production, Steve, but it, it's a limited resource, isn't it? We can't have any more land, and even though there's a lot of it, it's the the distance that counts, the distance from markets uh, or distance from the power grid, And uh, it, and in that sense, it is heavily constrained, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and this is the the point which was the major contribution, I think, that Ricardo actually made. I certainly don't regard comparative advantage as a contribution. I see it as a step backwards. But in terms of valuing land, he had a very simple model that said that when you first uh, settle or you first start producing food, you use the best available land. So he has a qualitative grade in the, in the, in the, um, the quality of the land for producing output. You said you use the most, uh, the highest um, Yielding quality club. land mm. initial, initially, and then as you uh, expand production, you've got to use lower quality land, which therefore means the higher quality land has a higher value, uh, in terms of capacity to produce than the lower quality land. You can't change charge rent, of course, rent is charged, but his hypothetical model was you couldn't charge rent on the lower quality land, but you could charge rent on the higher quality land because there was a premium. It produced more output and therefore that was the source of, of money going to the landlord. The owner of the land would gain the increase in, the increase in value between the lower quality stuff now being used as population grows and the higher quality stuff was the initial but uh, surely you could
1: partner. charge rent on all of it. You could just charge a higher rent on on the yeah, high yeah. I high yeah. I mean, high yield. This,
0: this is one of the points that uh, that Chomsky made in his critique of Ricardo, where he talked about the the Ricardian vice of making simplifying assumptions that eliminated everything else, and therefore led the only conclusion he could reach was the one that, that the assumptions led you to. But fundamentally, yes, he said that the the the, 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 co- the source of rent is the differential quality of the land, and that now when you look in, in the scale of the you know, the why why is land so expensive to rent? why houses are so expensive to buy in the heart of London versus in the periphery, it's because you're closer to the market mm. and that that is the value. And, been, and that's where the – and I've, I must confess I have never read Henry George. Yes, you know, so I know a lot of people will be annoyed by that. Some of you are pleased by it. Uh, I simply haven't had time to get around to reading Henry George. Uh, but that was, I think, the fundamental point that Henry George was making, which pretty much Ricardo's theory of rent and saying that that increase in the value that that people uh, get by being landlords who own land in the heart of London uh, is not due to what they're adding; it's due to the location and the, the social improvements that are made around that area. Yeah, which, and, and, and and they and they gain from it. Yeah, y- yeah, and,
1: and 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 I guess part and they're, they're always going to go up, aren't they? It's a, because it's a constrained resource. We've got a growing population. It means no surprise that land values, uh, because land is going to increasingly be in demand, uh, the value of land is going to continually increase, isn't it?
0: And that's where where people argue for a land value tax to say, well, that increase is occurring not because you are adding to the value of the, uh, not because you've added to the value of the mm-hmm. land, but because the um, the, uh, the, the, the let's just say you you were
1: just lucky enough to have been able to afford it in the first place, yeah, and uh, and from there on in, uh, it's only going to go up. So you're you're just benefiting from history, basically.
0: Yeah, and like the the classic thing which is happening in the UK right now, in London right now, is they're calling the uh, the Elizabeth Line, aren't they? Yeah. New line, okay. That Elizabeth Line, wherever those stations pop up, areas which used to be remote from, relatively remote from transport in the heart of London, are now going to be much much closer to transport in the heart of London. Their prices will rise, and the idea of a land value tax is to say, well, that's not because you did anything to the land, because the state built. That facility, which has now increased the accessibility of your your patch of land to the rest of the city, and therefore we should be able to tax that. And in fact, a lot of people argue could in fact pay for a lot of the uh, infrastructure by putting a tax on the properties nearby whose values rise because of the the state or whatever. Even even a commercial uh, enterprise building that line beneath you, Uh, that should be taken back uh, to the people who actually add the value, which is not the landlord; it's the uh, society adding the facilities around which the landlord benefits from. Well, so
1: that then gets into the position of the land which we sort of we sort of said yes well obviously the the distance from everything else is is important and that includes the distance from facilities. So uh, building something new is is uh, is an example particularly if you're building you know if you've built something and then something else comes along um, then, uh, sh- yeah, should you pay for the increased value? Similarly, if you build somewhere, and then someone built an airport right next door to you, should you be compensated? Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts to get complicated because you look at you can look at that in every uh, for, for almost everything there will be something that changes, which will change the value of the land, and it's external to the to the landowner.
0: But it also becomes an issue of what, what what about communities themselves? Because, like, I, I support you know, I get people often. Let's go back, just track, backtrack slightly. Mm. A lot of people, uh, the, the George's philosophy ends up with people saying we should have a land tax and, and that should replace everything. And and effectively what they're saying is... That Including the interest, it is what you
1: say, no income tax, um, yeah, 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 just yeah.
0: land tax, right. And, and that to me is, first of all, making a mistake about the f- function of taxation. It's still, from the perspective of seeing taxation of financing, the spending the government does, which is a, a gold... Uh, a gold bug model of what money is. You know, money is gold and uh, you you tax and get some of the gold for the state and the state can then spend the gold. When the state creates fiat money, it doesn't need that. Uh, it doesn't need to tax it to get the money to spend in the first place. It's taking out of money the massive amount that it's injecting in by being something of the order of 30 to 50% of gdp as the state is now across the whole western world including united states when you include in all the the various levels of the government and if you had that much extra extra money being created every year you'd have a a blowout in the money supply a blowout inflation etc etc so tax recirculates it that's its real functional role so the focus upon land tax as a way of raising revenue for the state is wrong but a focus on land tax as a way of clawing back increase in value that uh that uh, individuals get from work done by the network of which they are part, mm. but they, aren't, they are not the ones doing the work itself. That does make sense. Okay, let's, uh, so,
1: can but, we just explore that a bit further? Because I sort of quite like the idea, and I, I want to, to see where where it could go wrong. I sort of half understand your explanation, but let's dig a bit deep on it. Because the idea, if you're very rich... Uh, what do you do? you buy more land because you see that land values are going up. You want a bigger house you see it 's a, a a secure place to put your money that 's obviously why Russian oligarchs are spending it in london if you had, mm-hmm. a, if, you had if, if the only form of taxation was land tax, then you might get smaller properties um, and uh, you know and probably reduce the uh, the value of land because people don 't want so much of it. It becomes a, a less scarce resource, still limited but less scarce. What's wrong with that? If you get taxed, if it was an annual tax, for example, you just got taxed based on the the, uh, the, the value of your land. What, what well, could go wrong?
0: Then, then one of the, one of the things that does go wrong with that sort of thing is where you have people who haven't bought land for the sake of its rise in value, but they bought their delivery as part of a community. And. If, and, and, you know, if, if we're talking about Russian oligarchs in the heart of London, I don't think they'll live there for the community. Mm. Uh, but but if you talk about it, a bunch of age pe- people who are, are now aged pensioners who once were industrial workers, whose jobs have gone, they've gone at retirement age, yeah. they're living in a community. If you put a land tax upon it, they've got to generate an income out of a property which generates no income. And that, that effectively forces them to sell and move somewhere else. And what you get is undermining... The cultural and social elements of the society in which we live and frankly we've done far too much of that yep. so i i had this ambivalence I, I like the idea of using a land tax to reduce the profitability of speculating on land by the oligarchs of the world and by to make uh, make uh, land more accessible to people uh, you know that you can't have and this is what's actually happening with London, you simply can't have it, it's not sustainable. You can't have a city where the poor who do a lot of the, the manual work but that's cleaning rubbish out of streets uh, or they're being nurses or doctors or and doctors being manual workers but you know, uh, you know policemen, that sort of thing, can't afford to live in the city and can't afford to commute here at the same time. You have a real form of breakdown coming out of that. Yeah. And this is what I'm, uh, so it's a land tax reduce that um, certainly when you've got a place like London where the, the properties which are going up in the heart of London, which where the most expensive rents are charged and where the most expensive house prices apply, uh, you don't you're not breaking up a community. It's already been broken up by the by the process of asset of land price appreciation. So, but
1: so land's got many uses, though hasn't it? I mean, when you look at apartments, I mean they're real money spinners. So it's it's a it's a no-brainer. If you always sell land to the highest bidder, particularly in places like London, then uh, it, people are going to build apartments on it, irrespective of alternate uses and some of those the, those alternate uses could be you know quite good social uses and if we look at sydney we look at western sydney for example where no. a lot of land has been chalked up and sold to developers and there's very little in the way of infrastructure you go to western sydney there's not a lot in the way of parkland for example uh, no. or, or you know or even the transport infrastructure to it's support beautiful. it yeah so um, th- there's a case where you know some of that land should have been used for social uses but was basically all sold to developers because uh, because you know you made money doing that so, how if you if you always sell land to the highest bidder, you're always going to have that problem, aren't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's the, what we're marketizing is something that, in some sense, should not be marketized. That's yeah. uh, and partly that Singapore has got a, a, an element of this. I don't know Singapore as well as I should on this front, but a lot of land in Singapore is publicly owned and can't be alienated uh, for private use. Right, and that doesn't mean it's state and and, and socialist, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, calling Singapore socialist puts an interesting twist on the idea of socialism. <laughs> uh, but what but it's socially provided. You, you realize that land is not something which it is not a commodity, and this is this is one of the essential errors of neoclassical economics. It treats everything as a commodity. Now, a commodity is, in, in my definition of a commodity, a commodity is something which is produced using other commodities and is itself used to produce other commodities. Now, land, of course, is needed to produce other commodities, but you can't produce land. Yeah. And that's the flaw in the logic. So when you apply a sort of supply and demand, uh, it's got its own flaws anyway, but apply that to something which you can't produce using other commodities, you inherently distort what it's about. And in that sense saying, well, okay, because land is not a commodity, therefore we should not treat it as being a commodity market. Maybe large swathes of it should be owned for public reasons uh, and things like parks and stuff like that should be created, which we all enjoy. Well, in theory,
1: uh, it is, isn't it? In that, in that uh, you know, we do in most countries, uh, most developed countries anyway, uh, sort of zone land. So we say, well, this is for residential use. This is for manufacturing. This is for, co- for commercial property. Uh, so that sort of limits, I guess, the, the, the value that can be placed on a particular part of land, you know. But, then you,
0: but then you get the uh, people who say, well, the whole problem about the rising house prices is lack of supply. Yeah. And lack of supply comes, of course, there's all this land and as a regulator let's destroy the regulations. Yeah. And,
1: uh, <laughs> well of course the uses change over time as well there's going to be net less need for heavy manufacturing land use and perhaps uh, you know if, if Amazon continues to have its way there'll be less uh, less need for commercial land use in city centers as well. So I mean the, the the use is going to change. So yes I mean you know old shops probably should become apartment blocks.
0: Yeah, that that sort of change is is a necessary part of an evolving City as it grows in size, um, but you also you know it, it's reducing everything to being commercial and being a commodity when things are some things are fundamentally mm. not a commodity and whether you do that in the Georgia extreme at one stage where you say we tax the increase in land value and that if in, in I have some Georges come and try to challenge me on this because i don't know. The nuances of Henry George's arguments in the same way that I know those of Ricardo and Smith and, and neoclassicals, if there are such things as nuances in neoclassical economics uh, and so on. So maybe Richard George had some ideas in mind for this. But if you start imposing a tax uh, on the increase in value for property over time, when you have people living in an area which used to be, you know, like a, a lazy... Um, a suburban region and suddenly because of the expansion of the population it becomes commercialized so their land value increases because if they sold the house then what would be built there would be a block of a block of units or a uh, commercial development rather than the uh, you know a, a sleepy uh, standalone uh, house uh that then forces the community to break up hmm. and you you do see social damage coming out of this and ultimately my my perspective is that Economics should be serving society, not vice
1: versa. Yeah, but I mean, but you could, you could put measures in place to protect that, couldn't it? Because it, it can create problems as well. If you've got a, uh, a little old lady who's lived in the, in the, in the family home all her life and she doesn't want to move, and why should she? Um, yeah. But that, that family home is now worth 10 times, 20 times, 100 times as much as it was uh, in real terms when she bought it, mm. uh, because it's right next to a railway line or it's, you know, it, 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 whatever the pressures are that have pushed the value up. When she dies, the kids are going to sell that home and they might all suddenly become multimillionaires and so mm-hmm. through inheritance and that creates a problem in itself as well. So it's not necessarily a good thing. We wanted to stay in the house, but I mean, couldn't you just say, well, okay, there needs to be a process where. She can stay in the house. Um, but, uh, you know, like mortgage release schemes, that, that sort of thing. So that, uh,
0: in, in fact, in fact, I was about to use this very sexist term to describe it, and I will, I'll call it a grandmothering factor mm. because since women live longer than exactly. men, yeah. it's more statistically, you're, you're safe. Yeah. yeah. We go for, so we, we need to have some grandmothering involved in that. So that if you are somebody who has lived in a place, like, like I'll use my own family. I was the house in which I was, uh, raised uh, not born but raised uh, my mother moved into a 1957 so we're now talking 60 years of continuous inhabitation of that house uh when she does move out of it uh then yes my my you know my siblings and i will benefit from the increase in the in the land value and at that point you should be imposing the taxation but not before whereas if you have people building a, a block of apartments because they know that the the queen elizabeth line is coming through shortly uh, or buying buying and selling land at that stage. They are literally, they're, they're gambling on the increase in value of land that's going to come through social activity that they were not part of, but they're trying to exploit. But having a tax that tries to capture that so the revenue uh, doesn't accumulate in the, in the hands of the wealthy who do it. Uh, but is distributed through society, that is uh, a worthwhile objective of a land tax.
1: Yeah, which I'm liking more and more because, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I just don't see the, uh, I mean, it it is a way of stopping people speculating on, on a resource that will only ever go up. And so the only be- people who are going to benefit from it are the people who can afford to get on the ladder in the, in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So yeah what's not what not to like there what about i mean the 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 other extreme uh we go back to soviet russia didn't allow the ownership of land well, for, they didn't allow it for private gain, did they? I think you could buy a house in the old Soviet Russia, but the ownership of land was treated as part of the the capital, which which basically was which, which was government ownership. We don't want to go all that way, but is more government ownership of land is that is that part of the the thing here that we need to be looking at? Because of course, governments, local councils are busy trying to sell as much land as they can, and, and central governments to try and uh,
0: create more dollars for their for their budget bottom line. Well, this is also one of the hassles in China, of course, although the reason uh, that you have a high GDP in China is because of the link between property development and state-owned, uh, local government, state-owned enterprises set up to generate apparent revenue inside the Communist Party. Um, so we, we, we've got distortions in the use of land everywhere and getting to the stage where we have a sensible balance between land as a place in which people live, and let's go right back to Indigenous communities, they have uh, the whole idea of Owning land in the first place is alien to uh, a, a lot of indigenous uh, communities because to them the land owns them, not vice versa. Um, so we, we have a real struggle to balance this, and whether talking a capitalist or a socialist society, uh, because in that st- in that fundamental sense we're applying logic what comes out of a commodity producing system, whether that's soci- the old Soviet one or what, what we have with market economies today. Uh, we applying a commodity way of thinking to a non commodity, and I
1: wonder as well whether you know we we place a short term value on land as well, and we we have sort of talked about how it changes because uh, of things around it, but also, um, you know, we might find that suddenly there's, there's uh, valuable minerals that uh, that are underneath our block of flats, and uh, and so that that changes over time as well. But then, any if you build that, uh, if you build a, a a big oil derrick in the centre of London, uh, that's not going to go down too well. So I guess that's another reason why we we try and uh, constrain influence, but that raises a couple that raises a couple of points. I mean, are we placing too short term of value on land?
0: Should we be looking at the its longer term potential? Well, this this is this is the point I wanted to get to, and effectively, it's recently I've just actually rewatched uh, in flight uh, the uh, cl- the classic James Cameron movie Avatar, because uh, that actually sets up the whole situation of an indigenous community uh, living in a natural environment above. A resource that the capitalist invaders from uh, planet Earth wish to take over uh, and to get the community out of the way so we can access this uh, extremely valuable mineral. Uh, I'll leave aside the logical idea of a mineral worth twenty million dollars a gram uh, being transported through interstellar space, but but the um, but the actual idea of we we treat. Land as simply part of a production System mm. and it is not part of a Production system it's part of the ecology yeah. And this is this is the damage we're doing Now in terms of thinking about this Just entirely in terms of economics Which is, again is one of the limitations Both of the you know, the, the anti Market extreme which will all be publicly Owned and the market extreme as well uh, It's part of the ecology guys And we have taken over so much For humanity's use That what's left of the planet to reproduce The ecology uh, is becoming extremely fragile and uh, recently I mean, one of the benefits of the internet I know we're talking about the internet shortly Is some of the factoids one learns That one wouldn't find out otherwise necessarily And one of those factoids I recently saw Was that the the mass of the mammals on the planet uh, 90% of the mass of the mammals on the planet Is either humans or animals being bred by humans For their use, whether that's eating them Or uh, back in the old days riding them But literally 90% of the mammal mass of the planet Is derived from humanity's needs Now that's leaving 10% for the planet to regenerate And that isn't enough. Mm. And, and, and therefore we, we simply say part of the the land of the planet has to be there for the planet's, for the capacity of the ecology of the planet to reproduce and evolve over time. We've taken so much of that space that we're challenging our own, we will find we're challenging our own capacity to exist on this planet. And, and that's, so the, the flaws in the thinking go beyond Leaving out the role of land as a non-commodity, it's leaving out the role of land as the basis of the ecology. And without the ecology, there ain't no economy.
1: Well, and and I guess you know part part of the a lot of what we're talking about now is no surprise to most people. I'm sure you know everyone is aware of the issues about how we get the the balance right between uh, the uh, applying economic principles to the value of land and the role of government, and both of them are dangerous because I mean governments can get stuff wrong as well. It's finding that happy medium, isn't it? And I don't think anybody any any anywhere in the world has actually found an answer to that have they well,
0: well it's, it's it's not just a du- it's not a duality it's a it's a triumvirate because the other issue is the, ne- the, the need for the ecosystem to reproduce yeah. over time for us to have an economy in the first place well you sort and of I hope actually, the
1: government might have an interest in that but obviously you know we look at our world leaders No, they don't see it as a concern
0: do they that's true no they're happy to bomb each other's land territories rather than trying to help them regenerate so it, it is we, we in in that sense the land will have the final say uh because uh, the, the, well, we're talking we're talking the surface of the planet, we're talking the ecology of the planet. Mm. That is what enables us to exist in the very first place. And we have not even integrated that into our thinking. And, and uh, it, 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 we wouldn't even be having discussions about about carbon, uh, carbon pricing and carbon capture if we hadn't abused the system in the first place. Yeah.
1: So um, I know you're a man who's far too busy to play computer games. I don't, I don't either. But um, I have played, mm-hmm. uh, years and years ago, uh, SimCity, which is actually quite an educational game in that... Mm-hmm. Um, uh you know where you build towns and you you do have to allocate land and you see how that land is uh, is sold and you see uh, the impact it has uh with pollution and the like um and what tends to happen because you can play it with multiple players is what tends to happen then you can start trading with neighboring towns and cities and what tends to you know with people who are just on the internet and you don't know who they are uh, but mm. what tends to happen is you tend to specialize so you build a town and you say well I'm going to build A heavy manufacturing town, uh, it's going to be polluted to all hell. uh, And, uh, you know, and over time it'll change and I can start to move to uh, biotech and other industries. But initially it's just making all its money from polluting the planet. And nobody wants to live there because it's polluted and and nasty. So land Mm -hmm. uh, housing is very cheap there. And then someone in a neighboring town says, well, okay, well, we're going to build a really nice area because we're away from the wind blows in the wrong, you know, in the right direction. So all the pollution goes away from us. We're going to build really nice housing because these people working here are probably earning uh, decent money. And we're going to specialise as a sort of residential town. And that will allow us to start building an education sector and stuff like that. So you start to get uh, specialisms developing. And um, just, you know, by market forces, by people playing the game. Doesn't tend to happen. Well, it sort of happens in, in, in reality. Um, but is that – I'm just wondering whether, in fact, if, there, if there's a way that you devolve more – uh, responsibility to local authorities in in more of this decision making and also funding and making sure they're getting the right funding And I, I, I'm, this is a bit of a monologue but I'll come back to you so you can give your observation I was talking to somebody a long time ago and saying the big problem with um, immigration in countries is that the local authorities who bear the cost of the immigration don't see the see the benefits of them Mm. so therefore you know financially so therefore they're always against having more migrants into their town whereas if for example you had a higher level of uh, of land tax for example getting back to that one um, Mm. uh that didn't go to central government went to local authorities then they might be more open to having more people because it would enable them to provide more facilities so I'm just wondering whether, you know, more, more localization is part of the answer.
0: I think partly more localization is, but the other issue is that you, you don't get rewarded for reserving part of the land for uses other than part of commerce. Mm. And like the, just one event I'm, I'm well aware of because some friends of mine were actually working in the responsible government department. And this is when Ralph Correa was president of Ecuador. Uh, there was a discovery of a large, Oil deposit beneath a section of the Amazon that's in Ecuador that was un, unmined, and there was, was a very substantial deposit. And one of one of Currie's principles was to restore the ecology rather than damage it. So he actually said that we we will not mine this uh, uh, this resource uh, if we get paid to preserve this part of the forest by the rest of the planet because we'd ra- we'd rather leave it pristine, but we need the revenue. And so we have this choice. Either we get revenue from other people for not exploiting the oil or we exploit the oil. And he, he, he spent quite some time trying to find a means, you know, in terms of people looking for carbon sequestration and carbon offsets and all these sorts of ideas, you, if that had actually worked, then he would have been able to effectively get carbon offsets for not, for keeping the forest and not you know, demolishing the forest, reducing the capacity of the planet to absorb carbon dioxide and then pulling more fossilized oil, uh, fossilized plants out of the ground and, and animals and fossilized animals as well, which is where oil apparently comes from mm. and, and burning it, and adding more carbon to the atmosphere. He couldn't get it. So they, they finally gave us, we, we reluctantly are going to have to mine this oil. Now, so we we don't, which I find any...
1: surprising. I would have thought all the oil producing nations in the world would say, "Yes, well, well, we'll, we'll pay g- uh, good money to constrain the market, so you know we don't have a new player adding to supply."
0: That's a good point. That, 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 that of course that would have been seen as a constraint of uh, anti-competitive constraint. Of well, trade. hello,
1: OPEC. <laughs> it's all about <laughs> yes, a constraint and of but, trade.
0: But but, but but we have an ideology that says we should have a more ex- more expansive trade. Hmm. And uh, that would be fine if the elephants and lions and tigers actually had money and could pay for maintaining their environment, but of course they don't. So what we get is an encroaching of the commercial system across the surface of the planet, and when it gets to 100%, we die. Now, this, this this is the dilemma we've got ourselves in. By ignoring the ecological role of land so even, even you know, giving the, the Georges credit for talking about capturing part of the margin increase even talking about the need to maintain communities, it's all had a human focus on it as if we're the only ones on the planet and we could survive who are the only ones on the planet. We aren't and we can't and that's what we 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 haven't yet to work out a, a proper role for land in that sense that it's we're talking about the ecology, well, there's only mining the
1: ecology, and there's only two options, isn't there? So I mean, from that ecology argument, but also just the, you know, a, a, uh, stopping also that the, the the fact that land is increasing in value and it's g- going into the hands of fewer and fewer people. You know, we're getting back to the days where we've got uh, landowners and the rest of us are just serfs. Uh, we might as well uh, you know uh, give ourselves to domestic service right now and uh, live underneath their very large houses. I mean, just just because the sort of almost the direction we're heading. So there's only two ways you can solve that. One is that the government makes a call on everything, and you sort of like say, well, we're going to own all the land from now on, and we're going to determine how it's used, which, of course, is not possible. Or it's through some form of um, taxation to, to solve the problem. It can only be those two alternatives, can't it?
0: Ultimately, it has to be a collective decision not to use part of the land. I mean, well, that's I've, never I've, got, I can Without I can tax, see... that's never going to happen. Well, I think it will be forced upon us. I, I don't think it's going to happen by who? Uh, by, by the impact of us damaging the ecology. Right, which we, is going to
1: be so. It's going to be governments forcing it on. I mean, it's going to be people yeah, voting it, for it, governments. It won't be a
0: market to see. We, we won't be paying money to maintain the Amazon uh, because the amount of the Amazon we want we want to maintain won't necessarily relate to the amount the sloths need. Mm. Uh, and, and that's that's the way in which the market system ultimately breaks down uh, as a way of valuing the finite resource called the, the surface of the planet Earth. And that, that is what, you know, ultimately that will force a government-style solution upon us because, to say, we have to maintain a certain percentage for it to reproduce, um, it, to sustain and reproduce the ecology and let the planet continue evolving yeah. uh, despite our presence on it. But and you know that's is- not going to happen. I mean there's not uh, not until after it's absolutely not, too late. Until after it's too late yeah so uh, and yet you know
1: when we cuz when we do talk about it we 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 talk about it at a very surface level uh we talk about you know getting, you know giving money for um for ecological causes no one really as far as I can see, is really trying to tackle what's the economic solution? How do we develop a system that's going to uh, a- enable uh, sustainability? Those two issues: sustainability, but also making land uh, a- affordable to everybody. Getting back know, this, to the more local this, housing it, issue.
0: And this is partly what I'm trying to do with developing my Minsky software over time—is get to this stage where we can do combined ecological and economic modeling which was where the original limits to growth study came from but yeah. make make it much more sophisticated because we have to say okay in terms of what scientists know about the proportion of the planet needed to enable ecologies to reproduce and to change and evolve over time what proportion has to be reserved for non-human non-market work, work? and we'd be talking as if, given the scale of our presence on the planet we'd be talking a substantial part of it that has to be given back to nature Not to be used uh, for commercial, not to be used for residential, and so on. And um, you know, I, I honestly can't see us make that decision in any sensible way. Uh, It'll be after we should have done it, and we'll be we'll we'll have encroached to two and three times the scale of the planet we should have used for commercial and human. Well, Club of By the time we do it,
1: so the Club of Rome uh, when they. Produce limits to growth. That was what 1974, something like that, wasn't it? So 72,
0: 72.
1: So here we are, you know, sort of like 45 years or so later on, and uh, making no headway.
0: Yeah, and of course the trouble is uh, the the reason that these things tend to hit you in a rush is that you have an uh, it's an exponential growth process. Yeah. If you if you imagine a rate of growth uh, of the order of three percent per annum in terms of the scale of the economy pardon me therefore the encroachment of the economy upon the ecology that means that encroachment doubles roughly every 25 years and you double and double and double and double you're talking you know 16 times the the usage we're up to about eight times the usage that we had (coughs) pardon me back when the limits growth came out and so you 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 don't hit this constraint at a gradual tapering. You hit it like you're accelerating into a brick wall. And that's what I think we'll find we've done. And once you hit the brick wall, you've gone two or three times past the position you should have swerved at in the first place. Yeah. Then we start on Mars. All right. Good talk, Steve.
1: <laughs> we'll catch you again very soon. We got to Mars in that conversation. I didn't even <laughs> mention Elon Musk once. I did it. I did it for you. Absolutely. I get
0: accused of being an Elon Musk on uh, <laughs> the payroll. It obviously
1: is at you as well. It's okay. just grabbing off on me. Yep. Look, next time we're going to talk about the internet. Uh, we'll we'll catch you for that one. Okay, I just mentioned it because I was surprised he hadn't. Uh, that's it for this time. We will catch you again when we do discuss uh, the role of the internet and the power of the internet. Are there monopolies that need to be broken up? That's next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. We'll see you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
0: Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods